Grace and peace to you from him who was and who is and who is to come, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, today we're kicking off our new worship series for Advent called Waiting for Jesus. And, and we're waiting, right? We're waiting for Jesus to come on Christmas, his, first, his birth, his first coming. But we're also waiting for him to come again which probably isn't something that we talk about a whole lot or even maybe think about a whole lot when he comes again on Judgment Day. But it's not something that for us as Christians we need to be worried about, concerned about, afraid of because when Jesus comes on Judgment Day, he's going to take all who believe in him to glory forever. But waiting? Waiting isn't something that I think most of us like to do. It's probably not something that we think we're very good at. I mean, I, I would imagine if I asked you what waiting looks like, it's kind of like this. Maybe a little of this, right? It's just kind of bored, wasting time, frustrated, anxious, nervous, right? It's not something that we, when we hear wait, we don't go, ooh, good, I get to wait. We go, oh, I got to wait. You get in line at the DMV and you go, oh, I gotta wait for 28 more people. You get in line at the grocery store at the store on Black Friday and you go, oh, this is gonna be a long wait. Right? It's we have to wait, and we don't usually like to do it. It's not something we're especially great at. As we wait for Jesus, though, God says you don't have to twiddle your thumbs and you don't have to like push pause on your whole, on the rest of your life. God doesn't say, stop everything and wait for Jesus. But we also need to be aware that because we're not just pushing pause, there's a danger, right? There's a danger for us because it's really easy to get caught up in the the day-to-day pressures and stresses and and pushes and pulls to get caught up in the day-to-day grind of life and to forget what we're waiting for. Maybe even to forget that we're waiting at all. And that's why as we wait, God wants us to prepare. He wants us to prepare our hearts, to prepare our lives, so that when he comes, we're ready. We're excited. We're, we're watching anxiously in a good way, waiting expectantly for him to come and take us to be with him. That's what Jesus describes this morning in our sermon text from Matthew 24. Let's take a look at beginning at verse 36. Jesus says, But about that day, he's talking about judgment day, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, a little bit of background. Jesus' followers, his disciples, had, had asked him when he was going to come back, when Judgment Day was going to be. And this was Jesus' answer. Don't worry about when. Don't concern yourselves about when. Because nobody knows that. Only God knows that. 
Instead, focus your attention, your energy, your hearts on what? On how for you, right? And so he, he connects it back to the Old Testament account of Noah, right? We, we read that earlier before. God had come to Noah and said, hey, I'm going to send a flood that's going to wipe out everything on the earth. And I want you, Noah, to build an ark. Because on that ark, I'm going to save everyone who believes in me and two of every kind of animal. And the Bible tells us that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah listened and obeyed, right? But think about what that must have been like for a moment. I mean, can you imagine seeing that? Noah's your neighbor just down the street, and you're walking, and there's the old guy, and he's out in his back lot, and he's building something. And a couple days later, you walk by, and he's back out building again. And, and you start to see the, the scope of this, the dimensions are huge. And so finally, one day you go, hey, Noah, what you building? What do you think Noah answered with? The Bible tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, so he answered, honestly, I'm building an ark. That thing is huge, man, and there's no water around. Why? Because God's going to send a flood. And he's going to wipe out all who do not trust in him. There's really only two ways to react to that, isn't there? To, to heed and listen to that warning or to ignore it. And you wonder how many people ignored it. Because I've got to imagine that word spread pretty quickly. Holy cow, did you hear what Noah's building? What's that guy thinking? And, and it didn't take long for them to realize just how big this thing was. It was one and a half football fields long, 50 feet high, and it took 120 years to build because there was no construction crew and no power tools. But understand why God had something this scope and that took this long. Couldn't God have just like put, built the ark miraculously? Sure. But why did he want Noah to do this? Well, because for 120 years, not only was God preparing Noah and his family for their rescue, but, but God was warning, wasn't he? He was sending a warning to all people, this is a real thing. For 120 years, every time they saw that ark, they were being reminded of what God had said was going to happen. And so, while they went about their business every day, they were very, very aware of what God had threatened. Which brings us to our first takeaway this morning. That life apart from God, in the moment, right now, today, it might not seem so terrible. But eternity? That'll be hell. Literally. It's a pretty real warning, and it's one that God wants us to hear today, because I think Sometimes we think, you know, today, God, eh, it's okay. I'll, he'll be there tomorrow. It, life apart from God today may not be so terrible. In the moment, we might be tempted to think that way, right? 
But God wants us to understand just what that means, the potential ramifications of that, because eternity is literally hell. Listen how Jesus describes it. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. The people saw Noah building the ark. They, they knew what he, had, what he had told them, why he was doing this. But they were completely unfazed. They just didn't care. Yeah, he's just kind of a crazy old guy, right? Just write him off, ignore what he says. It didn't, it didn't affect them. It didn't impact their lives. It didn't, didn't bother them. They were completely unconcerned. Now, verse 39 actually says that, but it makes it sound like they were ignorant. That's not true. When it says, they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came, that's not a great English translation. First of all, God made clear that they knew what was coming. There was no ignorance here. Instead, the words, the original Greek word for they knew nothing It has nothing to do with knowledge and facts. It has everything to do with understanding and belief. So it's not saying that they didn't know that God was going to send a flood. It means that they didn't believe God was going to send a flood. They knew what God had said. They knew what Noah told them. They knew that this guy is building an ark because God said he's going to send a flood. They just didn't actually think it was going to happen. So they didn't really care. They just went about their lives. No big deal. Because they were simply just too happy, too content, too busy to prepare. The reason Jesus speaks these words is not just because that was important to understand back in Noah's day, but because he ties it in with his disciples then and with you and me, even believers still today, right? It's our second takeaway this morning that there's a real danger in life, and the danger is that life is busy. And I don't prepare for Jesus. There's so many things to do. My to-do list is like seven pages long. Okay, I'm slightly exaggerating, but you understand what I'm saying. And that's not including Christmas stuff, right? Now, some of you I know are way ahead of the game. Some of you, your houses are already decorated, the lights are up outside, the tree is up. Some of you are probably done with your shopping already. That's impressive. But understand, that's not really what Jesus is talking about when he talks about preparing for his coming. Because actually, the cards and the cookies and the parties and the company and the presents and the lights and the trees and all of the external things of Christmas are part of what Jesus is warning about. They're not bad in and of themselves. All those things are are good things. They're blessings from God. But there's a danger because the sheer volume of them is just overwhelming. Have you ever felt just completely snowed under during the month of December leading up to Christmas? I got to get this done and I got to get this done and we got this party to go to and we got to bake these and we got to make that and we got to order this and we got to wrap these. And there's just like this freneticness about life. And it leads us, leaves us so busy, so drained, so empty. Oh, 
Sunday is like the only day that I have of, of a break and I have to get this and this and this and this done. I just can't go to church today. I just don't have time. I don't have time to pray today. I don't have time to sit down and do 10 minutes of devotion. I just don't have time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the, ugh, I'm just burned out. Because that happens, doesn't it? And it happens probably even more during December than any other month as we lead up to Christmas with all of the external things that are going on. And those things are good. They're blessings. They're, they're good things from God. But the danger is that they, they keep us so busy that we don't actually prepare for Jesus and his coming. Because the way that we prepare for Jesus and his coming, it's not about trees or lights or cookies or gifts. We prepare for Jesus' coming when we stop and understand why he came. That God, immortal, invisible, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful God, became like us, was, was born in the flesh like us. And he did that so that he could live for us and die for us. To live in our place and obey God's commands and die in our place and take our sins. We prepare for Christmas, for Jesus coming, when we understand that this is the fulfillment in that manger of hundreds of promises and prophecies over the course of thousands of years by an incredibly gracious God who knew that we needed a Savior. Preparing for Christmas and Jesus' coming is all about stopping and understanding that I need to be rescued. I need to be rescued because I deserve that God would abandon me and forsake me forever. He would leave me and walk away and never come back. But he didn't. Instead, he came and got me and found me and made me his own. And that those words of the angel on Christmas night, those are for me, right? Those words that we know we've heard, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord and that is my Savior, that is my Rescuer, that is my hope that God has made, saved me and made me his child. That's how we prepare for Jesus' coming at Christmas. And it's how we prepare for Jesus' coming as well, his second coming on Judgment Day. It's really no different. And it's really very simple. It's our third takeaway this morning. That I prepare for Jesus by focusing on the good news that I am bought with the blood of Jesus and I am forgiven in him. Because when I hear that good news, when I take that to heart, when I focus on my Savior, my God, his love to me, how he kept promise after promise after promise, how he made me his own, how he washed me, how he gives me his very body and blood to eat and drink in the Lord's Supper, how he gives me his word to hear and strengthens me through his spirit. That's how I prepare. That's how you prepare for his coming. But please understand, Jesus doesn't want like just one, like a, a giant prepper weekend, right? Where you, you, you build the bunker and you fill everything up and then you're good to go for the zombie apocalypse. 
He wants us to prepare every day. He wants us to be continually preparing. Because this, there's, this, there's this constant bombardment, this constant deterioration of the conditions of my heart. That I am I'm being tempted day in and day out from out and from within. And there is always this pull to go away from God, to focus on me, to live for right now, for myself, for the moment. And God wants us to, to be careful of that and not just to do like one big immersive, yeah, I'm going I'm to flush all that out, I'm going to clean my heart up and then I'm good and then I'll be good until Christmas and I'll come back on Christmas Eve. He wants this ongoing, continual pre- preparation. Let's hear how Jesus says it beginning at verse, the middle of verse 39. This is how it will be, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would not have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Jesus is saying... Be ready, right? Keep watching. Uh, constant preparation. He wants us to understand you have no idea when he's coming. Noah had a, a glimpse, right? He, he had some kind of idea when the ark is built, God's going to come. The flood's going to come. We have no idea. And so Jesus says that not to discourage us, that not even the angels know. He says that not to discourage us from preparing, but to be constantly preparing. And then he gives two examples to help us understand this a little bit, process and and take to heart his warning. Unfortunately, the first one has been grossly misunderstood and, and badly misaligned and twisted. Jesus said that when he comes back, that there are going to be, right, some people who are going to go with him and some people who are going to be left behind. And, and there's been books and movies made about, like, the airline pilot who disappears from the cockpit and the taxi driver and, and this, the rapture idea, right? But that, Jesus says that's not what's going to happen. There's no thousand years where those people are going to live here on earth and try to, try to get themselves right with God or come to know God or figure out how to make atonement for their own sins because they can't. The Bible is very clear that that's not how Judgment Day is going to go down. When Jesus comes back, everybody's going to know it. Every eye will see him, is what the Bible says. And there's not going to be like a, a third coming. Oh, this is just, this is just 1.2. There's 2.0 still coming. Nope. When Jesus comes, that's it. It's done. And he's going to take all who believe in him as their Savior with him to eternal glory forever. But there will be those who are left behind. Not to live on earth, on a broken earth, for a a time. But really what they're saying, what what Jesus is saying, is that they will be left, abandoned, forsaken by God. It is the ultimate punishment for sin. To be abandoned by God, the eternal fate of hell. And the the sad thing is there's no reason for it because Jesus took that payment, that punishment on the cross, right? You heard his words. You, maybe you remember them. My God, my God, why have you 
forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Jesus took that punishment on himself so that nobody would know it. Nobody would experience it. That all who trust in him will never know that. But for all who don't, that's the sad ending that awaits. That's why our Savior wants us to to be bold and share his words so that more and more people know him, hear his warning, trust in him. The second example that Jesus gives is that of a thief, right? A thief breaking into a house and if the homeowner had only known. The uh, high school that I attended, where two of our, our, student, or our young men go right now, uh, is a school that prepares uh, pastors and teachers for our church body. And there was a tradition before I got there that the night before Arbor Day, a certain professor's house would get toilet papered. Now, Arbor Day is like a day off of school. It happens in the spring. There's no class. Everybody gets out of class. Team up. Teams go around campus and and clean up different sections. And this is a pretty harmless prank because this professor's house happened to be on campus property, right? So all of the toilet papering would end up getting cleaned up by a team of student workers anyway. No harm, no foul. But the professor hated the fact that he got toilet papered. Even though he didn't have to clean it up, he hated it. And so this unnamed group of pranksters, they decided early in the year, we're going to prepare for this. And they slowly started taking stock of rolls and rolls and rolls so that by the time Arbor Day rolled around, the supply was impressive. And that night, sneaking out of the dorm and and dodging the extra security teams on campus because the next day was Arbor Day? Well, that happened. And let's just say the next morning there were some sore arms from throwing roll after roll over the house and through the trees. And it looked like a winter wonderland in spring. And that morning we ran into that professor's son, who was a year younger. And, hey, how are you today, Ben? Oh, woke up at 3.30 this morning. Why'd you wake up at 3.30 this morning? Because my dad was yelling. Oh. See, that professor, who is probably the nicest man and most laid-back man alive, he knew it was coming, and he was waiting. And he was sitting in his chair that had a view out the front window. And he was determined to catch those TPing bandits roll in hand. But he dozed off for one hour. For one hour, he fell asleep. And when he woke up and saw all the white, he let out a yell that woke up his whole house. Now, that's a pretty humorous and and harmless example, right, of of being ready or trying to be ready, but the, the danger of dozing off. And that's why Jesus warns us, hey, I don't want you to doze off. I don't want you, dear Christian, dear child, to say, you know what, I'm just going to set aside my faith today and I'm going to do this instead. I'm just going to indulge in this sinful activity. Even though I know it's wrong, I'm just going to go down that rabbit hole. I'll come back out tomorrow. 
I'll get back out on the other side some other day. I'm just going to doze off, spiritually speaking, and take a nap right now. I'll come back later. I'll wake up when, it, when there's time. And Jesus says, you don't know when I'm coming. That professor, he had a, he had a clue, right? He knew that it was between like midnight and 5 a.m. on one day of the year. We have no idea when Jesus is coming back. And that's why he says, be prepared every day, ongoing. Don't, don't take a nap. Don't get spiritually lazy. Don't just doze off and say, ah, oh, it's okay. There's always tomorrow. There's always next Sunday. There will be another month to go to church. God wants us to take this very seriously as if our soul depended on it. That's why we heard from, from Romans. Did you, did you remember those reading, that reading from Romans 13 when Jesus talks about what it, means to, what it means to get rid of spiritual laziness? He says, let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. See, God is warning us to, to flee from those temptations which would pull your focus off of him and put the focus on those things that you want to indulge in but that you know pull you away from him. There is a very real temptation. There is a battle for your soul going on every day and you know those things in your heart, in your life that want to pull you away from God. You know the things that you want to just give in and say it's not a big deal. And God says, I want you to be careful. To watch out, to flee from those temptations. Stay away from them. Because they will put your soul in danger more than you realize. They will lead you down a path that you don't want to go and before too long, you don't even realize where you've gone. Instead, that's why he says, don't, don't indulge in those things. Don't, don't satisfy all the sinful temptations that pop into your heart and mind. Instead, clothe yourselves with Jesus. What does that mean? Does that mean that I have to wrap myself up in perfection? Yes, but not yours. His. To trust that I, I'm not perfect but my God has washed me and made me his own. And when he looks at me, he sees perfect because of Jesus. It means that when you fail and when you fall, that you go running not away from him, but to him and say, Lord, forgive me. And he does. It means to know that, that he arms you and strengthens you and equips you with his word and with his strength to resist temptation, to fight against it with the powerful word of God that, that cuts those lies from the devil right down, that shuts them down, that says, no, that's not true. That's not what God says. That's not what God wants me to know. That's not what God wants me to do. Our Savior gives us everything we need when we wrap ourselves up in the good news that he loves us and forgives us and is our Savior he gives us everything we need to fight those sinful temptations and to be forgiven when we fail. Which is our fourth takeaway this morning. That when I focus on Jesus, he strengthens me to fight the temptation to be spiritually lazy. 
Because he wants you to be focused, to be preparing, ongoing, every minute of every day, because he's coming for you. He's coming to take you to be with him forever. But it's not easy to wait, is it? It's really hard, in fact. It's really hard to wait. Maybe you're waiting for pastor to be done today. Maybe you're waiting for for Christmas. Maybe you're waiting for whatever. And it's really hard to wait. But Jesus says, this is important. Because in that time as we wait for him, there are going to be so many things that pull and tug at your time and your heart and your energy. Jobs to do, tasks to complete, people to love, and these are good things. And God says, don't stop them. Just don't let them take over your heart and so fill up your life that there is no room or place for him, and especially not him at the center and at the, at the first place. So as you wait for Jesus, prepare. Prepare in his word. Gather together here. It's good to see you, and I long to see you again next Sunday. Take the Advent devotion books or, or look them up online and, and make use of them. Pray for strength and focus, especially during this busy season of the year. And look forward. Wait and watch and prepare with the good news that you are a child of God and you are forgiven in him and heaven is yours. And that's why we wait for his coming again. Amen.